probably uh, know, I uh, wanted to make clear, clear, Bud was a former pastor here, uh, then became, uh, became missionary, and so they were here from 78 to 83, and uh, so when we found out they were coming back, I wanted to give Bud an opportunity to uh, fill the pulpit and to preach at his old church, and he was happy to do that, uh, so uh, we're excited to have Bud come and share with us this morning, and so Bud, stage is all yours, my friend. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Pastor Trey. I was thinking about the verse you had up there for the offering, honoring God with your wealth and the first fruits of your crops. So I, I didn't have a chance to see the offering plates at the back, but I think that would mean that some of you would be putting in sweet corn at this time of year, right? I remember a student uh, from Indonesia, and uh, he was telling us about what it was like there because it's dominated by Islam. But he said the Christians uh, do bring the first fruits and, and whatnot for their offerings. So for many of them, we'll bring a, a nice big fish uh, right to the pastor and his family so they can eat during the week. Now, Cal, that would make a pretty good offering, wouldn't it? I saw your fishing rides in the back of that golf cart. But uh, for us, honoring God with our wealth and giving him the first fruits may take a different form, but it's still the same principle in every culture, in every place, at every time. Well, it is a privilege to be here, and I want us to think this morning about something I think that is very near, very dear to the heart of God, because God wants relationship. He wants a relationship with us, and he wants to bring us into a relationship with others in the family of, of God, the body of Christ, his church. So one part of that relationship and relating is what we call prayer. Now, that's a challenging subject, isn't it? Sometimes people think it sounds real simple. And I, I remember trying to figure out, when I was a university student, what I would actually say to God if I wanted to make a decision to trust Christ. Because the only prayer I knew was what I'd learned as a little boy. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I thought, well, that's not what you pray to receive Christ. So what am I going to say? And I didn't know. I didn't have the words. So finally, I just, as the best as I could, say, Lord, if Jesus really is your son, if he died for me and paid for my sins and rose again, I want him to come into my life and pardon me and change me and make me a new person. As best as I knew how, that's what I prayed. But I wasn't willing to tell anybody what I'd done because I was a little embarrassed about it. And I remember coming back from that student conference uh, to our university campus. I was living in a fraternity house. Some people call that an animal house because of the behavior. But that night, about 12 guys piled into our four-man room where I, where I lived, and, and they just started uh, pummeling me with questions. What was this all about? Why in the world would I ever go to a Christian conference, which was out of my character? But uh, I had to say something. And um, one of the guy had this book by a philosopher, Bertrand Russell, and he was throwing these arguments at me. And I said, look, I can't answer all your questions at this time, but I know one thing. All I did was put my faith in a person, not a church, not an organization, in a person whose name is Jesus. I believe he's come into my life, and I believe he's going to change it. So one of the guys said, oh, Peterson, I was going to be a minister. I'll give you two weeks. That's all this will last. You'll find out. Another guy said, I'll give you two days. And 
I said, well, I believe he's going to last because it depends on him. But boy, I'll tell you, the next day I was down at this uh, Christian worker's uh, apartment asking him all those questions, trying to figure out where the answers were, where I could find in the Bible answers. And uh, it was a great environment. You either were able to sink and drown or you were able to learn to swim. And by God's grace, I learned to swim. So I was a business major, graduated in business marketing, but God had other things in store. When he calls us, we want to respond to that call, right? I had resisted and rejected that all through my youth. There were many opportunities. So I was glad to have one more. And God was gracious and patient to give that opportunity. Well, let's look at a passage that I think will help us not only understand how to pray, but actually see many, many others have that opportunity to be introduced to Christ. Because God does answer prayers that are according to his will. And that was one of the dilemmas for me as a new Christian, found out these other Christians on our campus, working with Campus Crusade for Christ, they would meet every morning down at this chapel, little chapel, and they'd pray. So I thought, well, that must be what Christians do. So I'm jumping out of my bunk and getting down there at 7 o'clock. My fraternity brothers wonder, what in the world are you doing? And uh, when one of them pressed me, he was even more astonished that I'd be going down there to pray. But I didn't say anything because I didn't know how to pray. So about two weeks went by, and I, I, I thought, well, I probably ought to say something, but what do I say? So I started looking at the prayers in the Bible, and I thought, that must be the answer to my dilemma. If there are prayers there, they teach us how to pray. And, and the more I learned about those, the more I realized the way that some of the students were praying was not like the Bible exactly. They had certain expressions or formulas, and I thought, well, I haven't seen that in the Bible yet. We add things in, and it kind of gets confusing in prayer, but when we go back to the original owner's manual, it's very refreshing. So we're going to look at a passage this morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now that's a book that was written to a young church in a city in the country of Macedonia, Thessalonica. And in chapter 3, Paul, the the great uh, disciple of Christ that God used so much, in fact, most of the books in the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul. He says, I need your prayer to these new Christians, this new church. He said, I and my fellow workers as a team, we've got to have your prayer. So you see, he understood how important this was. And in essence, prayer is just total dependence on God. But it's, it's adding to that dependence a desire to please him according to his will that's revealed in the scriptures. So we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is what I call the game changer. And if you don't mind, I think I'm going to turn here because I want to see these slides since we're going to really work together this morning to advance them fairly rapidly. So the next slide uh, is picturing what you know well down here, although it's usually corn, right? We've got a little wheat harvest here. And the question is, when that harvest time comes, how is it going to be brought in? Now, I learned a lot about that, Nancy and I did here in Cisna. No one sits in their house when the harvest comes, right? you got to get out there and bring it in, or you lose all your investment, all the work, the fertilizer, the seed goes down the drain, because sooner or later it will drop to the ground and be ruined. So the real question today is, 
how do we bring the harvest in? Not the corn and the soybeans, maybe a little bit of wheat, but how do we bring in the harvest that God says is ripe and is great? Jesus said the harvest, speaking of the spiritual harvest, is really great. Well, we know to bring that in, God has to spread his people as workers out into it, allow them to be trained and equipped to learn how to bring the harvest in, and then not just preserve it, but spread it so many, many more peoples will come to Christ. And that's what Paul is thinking at. And the next slide brings us right into that passage. Because we know throughout the scripture, old and new, there are examples of prayers and people that pray. Abraham, actually Job, we see his prayers because God told him to pray for his friends. You remember Job's friends? They weren't very good friends, were they? They came to him to quote-unquote comfort him in his tremendous suffering. He's lost his wife, lost his family, lost his wealth, and, and was suffering tremendously. Did they give him good advice? No, they gave him their ideas of why he was sick and what the answers were. And they were all wrong answers except for the last one. God didn't rebuke him, but he rebuked the first three. And then he had Job pray for his friends that they would be healed and God's blessing would come upon them. Abraham prayed. Who did he pray for? Do you remember? He prayed for a city, Sodom. And his nephew, Lot, and his family that were living in there, that God would spare that city. It's a tremendous prayer, interceding on their behalf. Moses prayed for the nation of Israel. Samuel prayed. Daniel prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Most of all, Jesus, as God's son, prayed and left us with an example. Nancy and I were astonished as we got feedback from these leaders that are being trained in India. First Bible study for disciple-making we actually wrote was based on John chapter 13 through 17. And we thought, well, that's where Jesus brought it all together at the end of his ministry. So that must be very fertile, important ground. In fact, we became convinced that those were the seeds that would bloom out in the whole New Testament, right from that seedbed. So we broke it into portions and and made Bible studies that would be based on people asking questions, trying to understand the passage and try to apply it to their lives. Nothing fancy, just practical things that they could apply in their lives. And later we we used focus groups with the leader to get feedback to see if it had worked well, if something needed to be changed or corrected. You know, the Bible is God's perfect word. What we put together is never on that par. It could reflect it, but his word is totally inspired without error. So we thought we'd get some corrections and some feedback, but we were very surprised. They said, um, wow, uh, we love this Bible study. Even the Hindus love this Bible study. We thought, what? I mean, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. We said, why? And they said, well, first of all, Jesus starts by washing the disciples' feet. And that just kind of, in our expression, it blows our mind. I said, why? And they said, well, we understand that. We still have foot washing ceremonies in our wedding ceremonies. So everyone understands this. I said, really? And I said, well, what does it mean to you? And they said, well, it's, it's almost beyond our comprehension that a king, in fact, the king of all kings, would get down and wash the feet like a servant, dirty feet. I said, well, what do you do in light of that? They said, well, we realize God wants us to follow that example and do very humble things, servant things for others that will demonstrate the love of Christ. 
I said, well, great. That's really interesting. Well, we got through other things, and they said, our, our new believers, wow, they are really learning to pray effectively. I said, well, that's good. How, how are they doing that? I said, well, they're praying for, for their needs. They're praying for their families and their friends. They're praying for the believers as well. There are many unbelievers among their families and friends and communities. But on all three of those levels, they're really seeing change. They're seeing God work. I said, well, great. Now, how are you teaching them to do that? And they looked at me like, what is wrong with you? They said, Bud, you have three lessons on John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer, the longest prayer in the New Testament. That's the example they're following. (laughs) I laughed and said, okay, I see what you mean, but now I'm going to say something surprising to you that probably will shock you. I said, from what you're telling me, by, by leading them through what Jesus is teaching here, and especially that incredible prayer in John 17, for the believers, for the unbelievers, for their needs, I said, what you're telling me is these new believers in your Bible studies, small groups, are learning to pray more effectively than most of the Christians in all of our churches in the United States. Well, they couldn't believe that. They, they, they wondered why. I said, because we have not taught that prayer. And we have not followed that example. And you're showing us how to do it. They were astonished. But it's true. So we've got these great examples. And Paul is giving us another one as he prays for these new believers. Where was this city? Let's move quickly on to these next slides. This city is actually located way up here in what we would call Greece today. Most of what Greece is today it was Macedonia. Macedonia is much smaller, but right up in that area. Now, this area actually was all conquered by a man from Macedonia. His name was Alexander. He started as a general at the age 19 to 20. He died at 30, but he conquered all of that area and tried to bring the Greek Macedonian culture into it, merging east and west. So three centuries before Christ came, this was the empire that uh, Alexander left to his four generals. It was then divided. The next slide brings us a little farther ahead that shows the Roman Empire, which conquered the Greeks and the Macedonians, but absorbed their culture. And that's how this spreads about. Again, we see Macedonia right up here, right in the Mediterranean Sea. The next slide shows us where the Jews who had been dispersed by their losing their temple, conquered by the Babylonians. They had spread all out into this area. So there were Jewish synagogues and communities all through Macedonia, what we call Turkey today, and this region. Now the last slide takes us right into the New Testament. This is where Paul, on his second journey, with Silas and others, Dr. Luke, they traveled as God led them through this area. They encouraged the churches that had been started in the first journey, and then they were kind of thwarted. They they tried to go up into this region, which we call Turkey today. God didn't allow them to go into those different areas. Got them all the way out here to the coast to a city called Troas. Ancient Troy was right next to it. And finally, in their frustration, during the night, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man. We don't know if it was because of how he spoke or how he dressed, but it was clear to them, this is a Macedonian man. Do you remember what the man said to him? Very simple. Can anybody quote those words? Come and help us. We need help. Come. 
They got the message. The next day, on the next slide, you'll see this. They sailed from Troy right across over to the other side of the Aegean Sea. Guess what that other side represents? Not just Macedonia. That is Europe. This is the first time the good news of Christ came into Europe. That's why we have the gospel today, because it was brought from Europe to us here in the States. So they crossed over and they got into this next region. You'll see it on the next slide um, that we call Greece today, but it was Macedonia up here and then down here was Achaia. They came in right up there. The first city God led them to where they planted a church was Philippi. The book of Philippians comes from there. Then they traveled the main Roman road and they got down to Thessalonica with a little red star there. Let's move to the next slide, please. Uh, We have to understand that Macedonia, which conquered all of the city-states of Greece, in Athens they had this incredible temple we call the Parthenon. That's what's left of it today, but it was beautiful and intricate. There's some other slides on Greek culture that we can look at right now. The next one is another temple right down from the Parthenon that's still in existence. Another slide that is a restored area. This is the marketplace. The Stoa, the Rockefeller Foundation, restored this to what it would have looked like when Paul was there. They had incredible sculpture. You'll see the next slide um, in terms of architecture. This has influenced our nation. Our, our buildings in Washington have columns. They have capitals on the columns uh, that are Corinthian columns. All kinds of things come from Greece today, even 2,000 years later. The next slide uh, is part of their sculpture that was up there in the Parthenon, the the temple. We could move ahead to others. Next slide would be uh, the map that shows a little more close-up how they got there. Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. God knew exactly how to direct them to a place that would be strategic. It was also a seaport, and it was on the main road. So what happened there became a place of great influence. We'll go to the next slide. Uh, They had theaters. This is a smaller theater called an Odeon. They had other structures. The next slide will bring us into that. This would be from a tomb. You want your loved ones to be remembered? Just get their faces up there in stone. 2,000 years, we're still looking at them. The next slide um, brings us back in there, and we're going to look at this. Uh, a little more closely. Now, when he writes to the Thessalonians in the first book, first letter he wrote, he talks about them in chapter 1. He said, we don't have to tell anybody about what happened to you. Everywhere we go, we hear it back like an echo, how you turn from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son. It's a beautiful description, isn't it? Turning from other things that were controlling us, even ourselves, in that case, idols of gods and goddesses, to serve the living God and to wait for his son. Their conversion echoed out all over Macedonia and other regions. So Paul is going to refer back to that. Our next slide picks up with a picture of Thessalonica as it is today. You can see it's a beautiful location, very strategic. We'll move to our next slide. All right, the first thing Paul asked for prayer of these new Christians on his behalf and his team is for the message, God's truth and word, to spread. Now you can look at it right in verse 1 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, pray that the word of God will spread. Actually, the word is to run rapidly. 
and not only run rapidly, but be glorified, be exalted wherever it goes. And he says, just as it did for you. This is what happened to you. Now pray for us that where we go, his word will spread one person to another, telling another to another. Reach entire cities, reach regions, reach entire groups of people. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? How about right here in Cisna? Does God's word need to spread in the town with a great past and a greater future? Are there people right here that don't know Jesus, don't really know about him, don't know how to come to know him? Yes or no? Yes? No? Well, apparently it's a mixed response. Are there people here in Cessna that don't know Jesus? Yes? All right. Are there people that are really even neighbors of yours that yet don't know him? Don't go to any church. Yes? All right. So right here it starts. But what about Buckley? What about uh, Wellington? What about Hubston? What about Paxson? Are there people there that don't know about Jesus? Need to still hear about him? No? Yes. Okay. I agree with you. And right through Iroquois County and right out into Illinois. In our country, 50 states, do you know the Barnett Foundation tells us that not one state has even one county where church attendance is keeping up with population growth. In other words, we're not even holding our ground. We're losing our ground. And can you see it in the morality of our country right now? Because the gospel isn't penetrating, the light, the salt of Jesus, our country and our culture is decaying and becoming more and more immoral as time goes, more and more violence, more and more division. Well, we need to pray that God's word will spread. Right here for our families, for our church and other churches, we need to pray this for the missionaries. They're running up against incredible walls. Those walls will never move unless God breaks through them. And Paul understood that because he was going into pagan cities. What a prayer. And that prayer, if we put the next slide up, could be broken down into different parts. It's a pervasive prayer. And there are four things that we'll see on the following slides. Pervasive. The next one is present. Next one is preeminent. The word would be glorified. And the last one would be very, very personal, just like it was from that. Turning from idols, turning to a living God and letting him lead us. And that then spreads to others as we wait for Jesus' return. What an example for us, right? I like examples. I can remember my coaches in high school wrestling and football. I mean, they'd get down and show us how to do a body block. They'd show us how to do a takedown or a hold in wrestling because we could see them do it. We could then try to do it. And it took a while for us to practice to get those right moves down. Whether it's basketball, baseball, that's all true. Well, here we've got a model. In fact, I think we've got a great coach, a great mentor in Paul himself writing on behalf of his team. But let's go to the second request. Very practical. The next slide would take us right into that. We're going to need to, while we're moving in our own community, out from there, we're going to need protection. So the next slide takes us in to protection. But I'm going to share with you a little bit about what's happening in our situation in India and then a new country that's opening up. Right in this area is an unreached tribe of 820 to a million people, 820,000. Never had the name of Jesus proclaimed. 
We've trained workers that are penetrating now in there. You can see something in the next slide about the people, the Kodesh tribe, and the next slide will show you a little bit more about their flavor. You know, their homes are a little bit like homes here in Cisna Park, right? Anybody live in one of those? No. And their crops, like these coconuts, are a little bit like Cisna, not quite. Uh, some of them are trying to cultivate soil. Many of them just harvest from the forests or hunter-gatherers. But one thing that is like Cisna Park and Grace Bible Church is their music. Drums, right? Wow, and these are big drums. We've actually got some pictures of them doing their tribal dances. Uh, women in one circle and men in another circle. I mean, they have rich culture, lots of color, lots of music but very difficult to penetrate because their eyes have been blinded. Next slide um, captures these workers that are being trained. Now, they are totally dependent on God, on your prayers and ours to see God allow doors to be open, hearts to be open, and a word to run its course. But praying like that will make a magnificent difference. The next slide um, is one of those leaders who has suffered a great deal, Adamiah. His life has been threatened. He's seen people in his new, new church killed for Christ. But God has strengthened and encouraged him through all that suffering. That's the only reason he could have a smile, for sure. Well, the next slide takes us into another country. This borders the east side of India, uh, and it's called Myanmar, formerly called Burma. Burma has over 50 million people. And the Burmese Buddhists that dominate the country are one of the hardest groups in the world, they say, to reach. Very close and very, very strong in their religion. So let's go to the next slide. In the largest city, Rangoon, is a 200-acre complex of Buddhist stupas, temples, and buildings. This one right here is the height of the length of a football field. At the top are diamonds and rubies and emeralds, jade. It's covered with gold, covered with gold, all dedicated to Buddhism and the Buddha. Wow. Our first missionary went to this country from America, 1812. He and his wife, Anne and Adamiram Judson, came here, and they, they worked. They gave their lives for Christ right here. The next slide um, pictures some of that worship. Uh, in teaching children from the earliest ages. And they've mixed in idol worship from their folkloric music, uh, I should say, uh, belief systems into Buddhism. And this has a tremendous hold on the people. Next slide um, pictures a little bit of, of the temple worship and the bowing down and the sacrifices. Satan has really blinded their eyes. They're very sincere people, very polite people, in general, following the ethics of Buddha. But no idea. Buddha didn't even teach you had to believe in God. You just had to follow his teachings. But some have believed that Buddha is actually God and mixed in all of us. It's great confusion. The next slide takes us back to what Paul prayed for and what they need right there. They need protection of the believers so they can get the word out. Let's take a look at that passage. Verse 2 that we will be rescued or delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Well, what kind of prayer is that? doesn't sound real positive, does it? Calling some people perverse and evil? Is that very Christian-like? 
Well, Jesus called the leaders of Israel hypocrites. He called them vipers, religious leaders that looked good on the outside, but he labeled their true character. And Paul said there are people out there, he would even say some of these are going to come right out of the church. They're ravenous wolves with sheep's clothing. Perverse and evil men, you need protection if you're going to share the good news of Christ. What well, sounds a little bit scary, but are there evil and perverse people today in our world? Are there some right here in our country? I mean, who's assassinating these policemen down in Dallas, Baton Rouge? Who is setting off bombs and killing people in Boston at the end of a marathon? This is increasing in frequency across Europe, across the Middle East. If we're going to bring the salt and light of Christ, we have to have his protection or we won't even survive. So that's a worthy prayer, deliverance and protection from evil people, as he mentions later in this passage. But the Lord is faithful. He'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan. The Bible talks about him as a real person, not some mythical person that, you know, is a blue devil or a red devil or whatever, but a real person who was the greatest angelic being who fell from God, turned away, wanted to be like God and exalt himself, who now has, according to the Apostle John in 1 John 5, the whole world lies in his lap under his control. Now, God is over him, but for a time, he has the world system in his hands and pulls people away from the light of Christ, the goodness of Christ, and has them believe lies and deluding things. So pray against that. Now, the great news is we've got a God who is so powerful, who is so sovereign, and is faithful. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. For Thessalonians 5 says... Faithful to deliver us from any temptation if we turn to him, 1 Corinthians 10. And faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. That's good news, isn't it? I need that cleansing. All of us need that cleansing on a daily basis. And it's found in Jesus. So last of all, Paul prays for them, uh, actually turns from asking prayer, and right at the end of this Verse 5, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Wow. Would you like someone to pray for you that way? May God direct your heart right into the love of Christ, right into his steadfastness. That's what we all need, right? So Paul has them to pray, and then Paul and his fellow workers pray for them. Now, there's one more prayer I want you to look at. It's found in verse 16. And it's for the peace and presence of God of God among his people. Look with me at verse 16. Now, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Whew. The God of peace. The next slide will illustrate something about our source of peace. Who is the God of peace? Who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus himself. And he's the one that promises he will give us peace that passes understanding. Our daughter Michelle was talking with Nancy this week and some tragic things that she learned about where people were injured and mistreated, lives were threatened, and and it really put some fear into her. 
And rightfully so. It should for all of us when we hear these reports. I mean, Chicago has a death toll, an injury toll every weekend that just makes your jaw drop. I was born in Chicago. It's just hard to believe this is happening. But Jesus is the author of peace. He's willing to give us peace that passes understanding. And he calls us to actually be peacemakers in a society that's being ripped apart. So let's just jump to that next part here, the source of peace, the blessing of peace. Can we pray for the blessing of peace? Well, God asked the chief priest of Israel, Aaron, to pray for the whole nation. That prayer in Numbers is one you'll recognize. Lord, we pray your face will shine upon us and grant us peace. It's a worthy prayer to be prayed. And in the next passage, um, or the next slide, I should say, we see the nature of that peace is from God. It's not like what this world offers. And then the next slide, where does this peace come to play? First of all, individually, we need peace with God, and that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. The next slide talks about not just the individual, but we need peace in the church. Paul writes in Colossians, may the peace of Christ rule in your hearts corporately. Now, I know that's not a problem here, but some churches have this problem. Uh, here, I know everybody in Cisna agrees, has the same taste, the same choices, and the same opinions, right? Wrong. We're all individuals. We have different ideas, different directions, and those can really clash, right? They can clash in a family. They certainly can clash in the family of God. So what we need is the peace of God to rule in our hearts so that we can even have unity in a church. And it's a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing to pray for. God commands it. Now, the next one is, is quite interesting. Back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is given the inspiration from the Spirit of God to speak to the nation of Israel. They're in captivity in Babylon, a pagan, terribly pagan city. Gods and goddesses everywhere. And he says to them, plant your gardens, marry Build your families and pray for this city and seek the peace of this city. Hebrew shalom, peace. That's kind of astonishing, isn't it? But he says, as long as I've got you here, I want you to be a blessing. You pray. So pray for the peace. That's the wholeness, the blessing of God on this town of Cisna Park, on this county on this state. We are the peacemakers. That's what God has called us to be. So there's a great example right from the Old Testament. Last of all, Paul says, pray for those in authority in 1 Timothy 2. Pray for everyone in authority. Now this would have been the Caesars of Rome. Some of them were malicious, immoral killers. He says, pray for those authorities that there might be peace so the good news of Christ can spread. Pretty practical, isn't it? and very much what we can do today. Could your prayers make a difference today? Well, according to these things, absolutely our prayers can make a difference. What we need to do is engage with God and follow the examples that we've got here. So what difference can prayer make? The next slide will pinpoint something. This is a British author, Tennyson. He said, more things are accomplished by prayer than this world even dreams of. Isn't that great? 
It echoes what Jeremiah 33.3 says. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't even know about. But if you don't call on me and ask me, you'll never know about them. I'm waiting to reveal these things. Now, what might he want to reveal to this congregation? What might he want to reveal to the believers in this area? What might he want to do for this country to turn us from evil, to seek good, to repent of our sins so we could have the blessings of God and his peace and protection again? I don't know, but God knows that if any people will call on him and humble themselves, God is ready and willing to wash our sins away and to give us a fresh new start. That's good news, isn't it? So as you move ahead, do you have any obstacles that are in front of you? Any barriers that don't seem to move? Any people that are just big problems and you wish they'd go away, but they don't? We all do. And God is saying, turn to me and call on me. Trust me, I can take you through that barrier, around that barrier, under that barrier, over that barrier, but just count on me. I am going to lead you. Whatever timetable I have, you can trust me on that too because my will is perfect, acceptable, and good. I won't disappoint you. Well, we want you to pray for us because we need prayer. (laughs) Nancy will tell you that. I need prayer. She needs prayer. The workers we're training needs, needs prayer. We're just starting the work in Myanmar, this country that has been so close to the gospel. And if you're willing to pray, we're going to give you prayer to pray for, requests to pray for. We're going to share the answers with you as God provides those. But I want you to look at the next slide. How'd you like to meet that tiger face to face? A little bit scary? Don't get in the cage at the zoo with this guy. You don't want to meet him. Our first missionary from America said for him and his wife and fellow workers, it was harder to reach a Burmese Buddhist in their large city of Rangoon than it is to catch a live tiger and extract its eye teeth with your hands. I wouldn't want to try that, would you? But with God, all things are possible. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, look, You trust me, and there are things ahead that I will do that only can be done by God himself. But I will do them if you call on me and you follow me. What an opportunity and what a challenge for us today, right? Here, across our state, across the United States, across the world. Thank you for the prayers you've prayed. I believe God has protected us through all kinds of things. We would have been burnt to cinders by some of the things we faced. But God took us through those. We would have been drowned in the waters that swept up. But God allowed us to keep our heads above the water and get through those and get to the other side. And we believe the best is yet to come. We're praying for 14 to 15 more years to do this work and to entrust it to leaders wherever God allows that across the world. Only he can do that. But that's what he's put in our hearts. What's he put in your heart? What mighty one he put in your heart if you ask him? Lord, I'm just an itsy-bitsy nobody, but you chose me to come to Christ. Now, what do you want to do to use me? Right here, right now. Ask him, and he will show you things you never dreamed of. But they won't be bad things. They'll be the best things, because his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. 
It gives us a great example and a practical example. Thank you that today here in North America we have the gospel because people prayed for Paul and others. They followed the Lord Jesus and the gospel spread all the way to here 20 centuries later. But we know there are many people, ethnic linguistic groups, that have never had a chance to receive this message that have never had disciples made among them. and In our generation, you're asking us to get it to them, to make and multiply disciples so they hear. Lord, we pray you'd bless this church as you have, but you'd bless them beyond anything we've ever imagined and other churches that are willing to honor you in your word. And we'd ask that your commission would be fulfilled in our generation, whatever happens in this world that you'd spread your word and we'd be completed as a church, a bride ready to meet the bridegroom as Jesus returns. In his name, amen.